Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shift podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. If you've heard any of my past podcasts, you may have heard me say a thing or two about the toxic diet culture out there. And if you haven't, then I'll just be really brief here in saying that I find it absolutely horrible. The messages that are out there and the beliefs that someone has more value, worth, and is somehow more quote-unquote healthy if they're in a smaller body, they're absolutely insane. And what gets to me most of all are that the vast majority of people truly still believe so much of this. And it's so hard to combat the diet culture when we're constantly hearing and seeing the same things over and over again from multiple sources medical doctors, advertisements, and the multitude of influencers out there on social media. And I always hope that there can be something that can be done to open the eyes to people out there who are promoting these messages and perpetuating it. I just want them to see how wrong and toxic the diet culture is and just stop promoting it. And at best, to instead send messages to try and stop encouraging everyone else to believe it. So, My hope is that over time, if enough people start doing this, the beliefs and the culture can just change. And really, I just want people to stop being so hurt and damaged by all of this. And my dream is that one day this just, this is going to happen. And so it's people like our guest today who make me believe that one day this dream of mine is actually going to come to fruition. We have uh, Johnny Landells. He's a former diet culture obsessed fat loss coach turned intuitive eating coach and health at every size advocate. He actually spent years fighting his own body and believing he just needed to be more disciplined and motivated to maintain weight loss long term. And so a couple of years ago, he started learning about disordered eating and intuitive eating, and he slowly pivoted his coaching and retrained. And since then, he's not looked back. He now helps clients break free from food and body obsession and helps them end their constant mental battle with food while using strength training to help them fall in love with exercise again. Well, Johnny, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Christina. It's great to be here. So, you know, we were talking a little bit before we uh, got started here, and I'm always you know, thrilled, of course, if somebody's willing to be on the show and also willing to talk about, you know, their their journey, their story, but uh, always, you know, to break the myth that, you know, eating disorders, body image issues, all that is strictly something that females deal with. Um, I think it's getting more well known that men are struggling with all of this as well. But um, I do think we need to hear more from males. So I'm really appreciative that you're here and all the work that you are doing. Um, And for people who don't know you or the work you're doing, um, you know, obviously you're here today to talk all about this. So uh, hopefully by the end, they'll know all about you. Um, (laughs) So why don't you tell us about you a little bit? Yeah, thanks. 
uh yeah I, I agree with you i think it's it's good to see more and more um men coming out and kind of speaking about their struggles with with food and and with body image and and that kind of obsession of being lean or being like looking fit uh quotation marks that we all kind of get struggled into and and men have those same issues too they just may be a bit unique in the way that they are uh displayed um and i think it's been a, a big surge of of men's mental health groups and talking about men's mental health has kind of come up alongside it and both of those they do have a lot of correlations and connections together i know a lot of my darker mental health periods were some of my sort of like darker body image periods and and it kind of went into a kind of confidence piece as well not to mention that i've been a fitness professional for the last 10 years and when you put your sense of identity and worth into how you look as well it can become quite dark and so to give you a snapshot about me type piece i'm 33 years old i work as an intuitive eating coach now online so i've got clients around the globe uh which i'm very grateful to have and i work with counseling people on their eating behaviors to help them make peace with food and the body to end these kind of self-sabotage behaviors that people get stuck with when they think it's a lack of willpower or a lack of discipline it's actually the result of chronic dieting you know chronic restriction mm-hmm. um so i help them overcome those things and i combine strength training and fitness training as well because i've i've always been someone who has loved exercise activity um i started my fitness professional as a crossfit coach and so there's a lot of elements of sort of functional training and and stuff that goes into my coaching um although i don't prescribe as much like intense workouts and things like that that was very much something that 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 got dropped out of my life as well mm. when i when i decided to kind of ditch the obsessive nature of my food and an obsessive nature towards being lean so yeah that's kind of a snapshot into who i am well obviously great work you're doing and i love the things you said about you know people thinking they're just lacking willpower and kind of helping them understand it's just the chronic dieting i think that's one of the biggest hurdles for most people is really understanding it's not something they're doing wrong um and really understanding this is an illness something they're struggling with because of that and not because some deficit of them their themselves i think yeah i think it's really helpful to continue speaking about that very regularly right because there's a lot of rhetoric in in the fitness industry in the in the weight loss space around better willpower better habits better eating behaviors and all of these kind of like different hacks and tricks and tips that you do and so when people inevitably break their restriction through overeating and and go for that blown it so i might as well overeat because it's going to be my last chance that sort of last supper effect they get very um confused i think and also quite quite down because if they see these lean fitness professionals online talking about willpower and sticking to calories and all the rest of it they think it's they think it's a them problem whereas actually it's a phenomenon that so many people struggle with because of the way that our brains work against restriction and and under eating and how our bodies work against us and it's it's like you're working against biology you're not working against willpower and and it creates such a negative association with willpower as well that i find that so many clients come to me with with quite low levels of 
self-efficacy really because they they genuinely feel like they're not capable of positive change but it's just because all of their energy has gone into the wrong thing and you have to show them sort of how many years that they've spent trying these different protocols diets things like that to show actually you've got you've got a hell of a lot of willpower really mm-hmm. the amount of time and energy you've spent it's just it's it's like you're solving the wrong problem and so you're always going to come up with the wrong result i you know i love that you said that because i think there is this idea out there that you know, if somebody is struggling, say, with their weight, or they look, you know, they're in a larger body, per se, that they're, quote, unquote, I hate this, you know, they're lazy, or they're not trying hard enough, or people even say that to themselves, right? And to your point, oh, my gosh, like, at least the people I work with, and I'm sure the people you do, too, like, they've tried every diet, they are so hardworking, they're so diligent, they are anything but lazy, right? Like, anybody listening, like, you know, like your life has revolved around this, like, that is not being lazy. That's not lack of willpower. And I think that's the frustrating part is you try so hard and you look out there in the world and all these people are being quote unquote successful following these diets, these programs, these whatever. And so it can feel like it's me. I'm the failure. I'm not doing something. It's my fault. That's, I think, to your point, why people blame themselves. And Mm. so how do you help people really overcome that whole mindset and, and, you know, what you said about they're working against biology, how to explain that part for anyone who's listening going, what do you mean I'm working against biology? I think it helps to explain set point theory and set point weight regulation at first. And although these are, are theories that need more evidence and research, they're ones that a lot of scientists have hypothesized to this model of that we see when people lose begin to lose weight and then that begins to plateau and then there's even a a, a a kind of curve of regain and what we need to remind people is that every study that's been done on intentional weight loss has, uh, has only ever been short term and they stop either before you know, either kind of at the plateau or before the weight regain starts to kind of really surge up and we see this even with bariatric surgery and, and weight loss drugs as well so it's not like those things are devoid of that happening and it's quite annoying to see within the research papers because they'll say see we've still had this sort of x percentage of weight loss and the ones that dropped out or regained or didn't lose were clearly non-compliant it's like that's the issue that the, the, the researchers put into the paper but when you see this consistently across the board the people are hypothesizing now this this idea of a set point theory of weight regulation where and and it, you can see that this happens quite regularly that people begin to lose weight and that that rate of weight loss decreases because their bodies generally um it's taking up a lot of uh compensatory mechanisms to slow that down because the body's just like don't like this you know i'm losing weight i'm under eating i'm kind of panicked i'm in a in a starvation state and i'm worried that i my survival is being threatened right so it decreases energy expenditure it increases hunger it decreases calories um calories burned and increases kind of calories intake and that's why it it slows this rate down to that point where even if you are doing everything quote unquote right like still following your protocol you see this plateau mm-hmm. and you see this increased desire for other foods like every diet will talk about it we can talk about the restriction pendulum of of being so restricted that everything's like you know man i'd love to have that food but i can't because i'm on a diet type piece but there's also that 
fighting against your appetite hormones that are leading you to seek higher calorie food because it's like i'm losing weight here and i need to do something about it mm -hmm. so there's a lot of peace now with that's why there's such a hype over these um glp1 antagonist weight loss drugs because that's the thing they're blocking is that desire for these foods and that desire to keep consuming these foods, which is reducing people's appetite to kind of like post-bariatric surgery levels, right? Like I've worked with people on them and and they tell me about how they have a few bites of a, a shared plate of, of fries or whatever and are like, I'm done. And you just think it's just, that's not, that's not any food, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's this piece that when you, when you try to, sorry when you begin to explain this to people they can they can resonate with it right you know you talk about the restriction pendulum the last supper effect the forbidden fruit analogy and this idea of um plateaus and regains happening despite people's best efforts and they're like okay yeah that is the thing that i've happened that's happened every time and i help clients with uh, a dieting timeline you know like let's let's put on a timeline like every attempt you've ever had to lose weight what 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 was it how long did it last what did you do what was the result what was the aftermath you know where where are you now um and you start to kind of paint this picture for a client of okay this this has kind of been a lifelong struggle of mine that i'm no closer to solving and everything has worked for a time and then there's been a regain despite best efforts and it's not my lack of effort willpower discipline it's not that i'm on the wrong approach it's just that the approaches themselves are geared not to work for for human bodies right mm -hmm. and i think it's just that education process at first which is is definitely part of rejecting the diet mentality and intuitive eating right it's, it's, it's coming up with those inventories and those kind of costs of dieting and the benefits for getting rid of dieting right what what could be the benefits to one's life mentally physically socially financially if these attempts were to stop um and 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 the, the fight against food and body was to, was to cease effectively yeah and I, I don't know about you but people when i start talking about this look at me like i've got like two heads or something like you know no everybody out there is talking about this or you know they they can maybe it kind of makes sense when they're talking to me but then they go out into the quote-unquote real world or get on social media and they get zapped right back into that diet mentality and think no wait I gotta go back to what quote-unquote worked or everyone else yeah. is doing this and so um you know what for anyone who's listening and kind of struggling with this whole like what do you mean diets don't work or like no it worked for work for me before that's the only thing that kept you know the weight off or whatever off or, you know yeah. what would you say to somebody listening kind of going like you guys sound like you're off i don't want to listen to you <laughs> yeah it's hard isn't it because um everybody knows a unicorn as well potentially who has lost weight and kept it off for a period of time or even maybe a long period of time and i think there are different things to speak about with regards to certain lifestyle changes that people might make that are genuinely um beneficial and non-obsessive to them that that maybe give them some form of long-term change that's not about obsessing with food and might be more a change in work or a, a change in long-term exercise habits but still then there's such interpersonal differences right i worked with a woman once who was like i was trying everything and i even trained for a triathlon to try and exercise more to help and and even throughout this training from a triathlon and severe kind of under eating they they didn't 
lose a single pound. And you're like, there's, there's just such individual differences here. And when people say to me, as you said, they're like, it's the only thing that's that, that's worked for me. It's the only thing that I felt kind of good on. It's it's looking up the definition of what we mean by working, right? If it's like, if you want to be doing keto forever, then sure, go go and do that. If if you genuinely enjoyed it, but if actually you were tired all the time, hungry all the time, you were binging all the time, you were miserable all the time, you missed out on loads of things. It was really expensive. Um, even when you were on it, the weight loss plateaued and started to regain. It's like, those are all signs of that thing not working for you. And it's changing the definition of, as as I said, they're changing the definition of what works, right? We want to be able to be in a position where we are not obsessing about our food all the time, not obsessing about our movement all the time. For sure, we're engaging in those behaviors in a way that makes us feel good, right? We know that movement is, is good for us. Um, and we know that a varied diet is is a healthful behavior. But if you are consistently obsessing, restricting, um, over-exercising, under-eating, and constantly mentally battling with sort of food, weight, shape, that it takes up a massive amount of mental headspace, then that's not a healthy relationship with food and exercise. Well said. Absolutely. Um, I'm actually curious that, you know, as you were talking, um, maybe for, you know, anyone wondering, like, how did you get to this point where you just have all this knowledge and have all this understanding about food and, and shifted your, uh, relationship with exercise? Like, how did, how did you get here? (laughs) Like, what happened? I think it's similar to so many of us, Christina, that have have had such lives that have been completely ruled by food and exercise where it's it's like a straw um it's not even the straw that breaks the camel's back it's not even like a big snap it's more of a kind of gradual inkling of doubt isn't it as you just said there like people might listen to this podcast between you you and i and think nah like it's definitely that they're definitely talking french you know it's it's about dieting and willpower but there might be a nagging thing in their head about something that you and i have said that like that was interesting though, because that that resonated with my experience, and I need to read up more about that to find out what was going on. And that was very much what it was like for me. So, if I take you back to my start as a fitness professional, I was in my early twenties, and I had spent my later kind of like teenage life concerned about my weight. Right, I'd I'd been called fat a fair few times growing up as a teenage boy um both in sort of like sports clubs and schools and and kind of internalized this this narrative in my head that I was too big and my my father died of a heart attack as well when I was in my teen years and um as as someone who who himself was was bigger that was kind of like part of the narrative that I sort of fed myself as well was that that was a cause of a causal relationship and you know and many things that went into that um for my dad in terms of high levels of work stress high levels of inactivity smoking um pretty bad relationship with food as well um in terms of he, he kind of just followed along with whatever my my mum was doing my mum dieted a lot when I was growing up um but then he would overeat certain like snack foods and things particularly if mum was on a certain diet because he he wouldn't be getting enough food right so his appetite would be going crazy in other ways um 
he actually ended up with a thyroid issue with like an overactive thyroid but his kind of internalized weight bias was so that um because he got compliments from people with with the kind of resorted weight loss um that if he ever had a moment where he would overeat or over drink or whatever um socially that he would just be like i'm not going to take my meds because my thyroid will burn it off and it's like mm. uh, you know this you put stress on your heart that way so it was a very multifactorial uh, event right but me as a 16 year old boy who thought he was overweight and fat it was like a i need to get myself in shape and that led to like a men's health subscription um which is the kind of like peak way for a guy to feel bad about his body mm. you know like ridiculously lean cover models and headlines about rock hard abs and you know, bulging biceps and all those things mm-hmm. and then that was what i took into my early 20s so by the time i'd started um actually coaching crossfit as a profession which i did when i was 22 23 when i moved to london I would had done already by that point quite a few different things. Like I'd done paleo, I'd done clean eating, I'd um I'd tried the zone diet for a while. I never went as far as keto, but I did do things like fasting and bulletproof coffee, some kind of like Dave Asprey mm. stuff. Um, and um I'd even had a period of time when I had followed a meal plan from a bodybuilding coach. So like six meals a day of a very, very dry, boring food exact identical food every day with a sunday refeed day which is basically a cheat day um and it was around my 20 it was 2014 when i was still feeling unhappy with my size and shape so i'd kind of like lost weight gained weight lost weight gained weight lost weight gained weight and i found a friend of mine from my formative years playing rugby was now a fitness coach and what he did was post before and after pictures of guys and say hey there's this new thing called flexible dieting and it means that you can eat whatever you want and get lean so i was like well this sounds like like magic Mm -hmm. um and at this point i was working as a crossfit coach and i was training twice a day um because i was doing that for mainly for crossfit performance but there was definitely an element of like I did it to get lean um, and combining that then with the amount of walking and steps I did just as part of my job, right? Walking to the tube, getting the tube to work, walking to work after the tube, being on my feet all day as a trainer um, and then training twice a day. Uh, I then started this flexible dieting of counting macros and calories and I got really, really lean. Um, and then that for me was like, oh, cool, I fixed myself. So I'm going to do that for other people because everybody in my gym was asking me how I'd done it. So I was like, well, I might as well coach other people. And that was how my nutrition coaching business started. In the five years that followed that, I myself had my own weight cycling, so gaining and losing of weight. So I would, if I stopped counting calories, I would gain weight. I would then go back to counting calories and lose weight again. Or I'd be like, I'm not going to count calories, but I'll be really strict with my like food portions. So like, you know, like hand measurements for different meals um, and then being diligent with kind of snack foods and meals. And I just had this yo-yo effect, basically, of weight loss, weight gain, um, either side of a kind of restrictive piece of eating, fasting, 
it's it's just extended periods of having just meat and veg or like protein and veg with like no carbs like low carb diet effectively and it wasn't until 2020 when i was feeling it was one of my lower mental health phases and i was feeling pretty down about myself i was feeling pretty down about my ability to coach others because i'd kind of noticed a similar thing in clients in terms of their either lack of results or their lack of maintaining results it, it results being the weight loss mm -hmm. and i did a coaching course that was more about how to coach people so it was more about change psychology it had a lot to do with motivational interviewing and self-compassion and empathy but within that was a huge module around disordered eating and there was a big disclaimer about how as a fitness professional you might resonate with a lot of these kind of bullet points and i think it was every bullet point i thought to myself that just sounds like the way that i've been living my life since i was since i started that bodybuilder meal plan right it was like the bodybuilder meal plan had kind of begun that for me at age 22 and at this i was sort of age 29 30 um and so to answer your original question how did i get here it was that like that slight nagging doubt that i'm doing something wrong and from there it was where i found intuitive eating um but i was still a fat loss coach and so i started to kind of tweak that to be listening to your body's hunger and appetite and making peace with food and being able then to beat emotion eating and beat your stress eating and beat your cravings and 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 beat the kind of sabotage mode that you'd you'd have by allowing yourself permission to eat and and still kind of spinning it as a fat loss narrative and i i ran a program with a lot of people with that kind of narrative of kind of building those habits and then so many people at the end of it were like hey this program actually didn't help me lose weight but this program really really helped me with my relationship with food and it really really helped me with my body image and actually all of those things i feel really good about so the feedback from everyone was like i didn't lose weight which is what i came for but actually i feel really good about my relationship with food and exercise and i've got so much more self compassion and and i've got and i guess through uh, through the delivery of the program i was reading more and more about intuitive eating so i was delivering it better but then for me as well, I was like, oh, huh, okay, you know, I'm getting really good reviews from all of my clients who feel really good about themselves. And I'd had a big aversion to reading anything about health at every size for a long time, because everything that I had from education, from nutrition certifications, and by that point, I'd done quite a few, had been about the dangers of weight and health. And so for me, health at every size just never made sense. And so it, was, it wasn't until I then read the book and read the associated literature and and the you know the footnotes and the references and and then got into some more podcasts from um health at every size folk and non-diet dietitians and fat activists and read more books of that ilk as well um and and all the associated evidence and literature of those that was when i started to really spin my belief system about the narrative of intentional weight loss and that's how i got to here was just three years or more of kind of diving deep into the literature and it wasn't until i think maybe a year and a half ago or maybe even the start of this year where i really put the kind of stake in the sand to be talking about i'm a weight neutral practitioner now and that's not that's not how i'm going to make my mark i'm going to make my mark here and, and kind of talking about my personal experience of sort of obsession and, and where it didn't lead me. 
Um, and my kind of recovery of that obsession has definitely helped give me that foot through the door to kind of commit to to doing to helping people long term in that it's a it, it's been a it's been a slow change but I needed that time I think to definitely solidify myself both in sort of what I knew and how how much conviction I had in what I knew as well rather than just like oh that that ideology resonates with my experience but am I just am I just biased because of my experience or is there something to this type piece does that make sense Oh, totally. And, you know, just the whole trajectory of, you know, your early 20s to now, and I can see how difficult that must have been, too, because not only were you kind of seeped in the whole uh, culture of like CrossFit and, and all of that, but you were getting so much praise for how you looked. You were getting paid. That was your whole business, right? Like people were paying you because of how you look. So I'm just wondering, like, how much pressure was that for you if your body shifted or changed in a certain way for you to stay looking the way that I guess you were kind of like a billboard for your business, right? Yeah, well, that was a huge piece of my, my, my different depression periods were, mm. were, were, were due to body image dissatisfaction and, and internalized weight stigma for sure, because I had those periods where I would start to put weight on again. And I, I'd be like, well, you know, I'm here posting before and after pictures of clients or my own before and after pictures got used quite a lot. And mm. I've got quite a an armory of CrossFit photos that I use now just to talk about how messed up body dysmorphia can be because I never ever got as lean as I did that very first time I did flexible dieting right mm. and so there are pictures of me back in my CrossFit days where I'm really lean I did use them as well on my Instagram page but I would even think to myself how I'm not as lean though as when I when I was like that mm. size and it was always focused on because even when I'd gotten the leanest I'd ever got, I was still trying to lose weight because I was trying to hit a certain weight on the scale, which is a big one for people, right? Um, and whether that was my own head, whether that was the BMI, I can't really remember. I mean, the leanest I'd ever been, I was still overweight on the BMI scale, mm -hmm. which is why so much of my content talks out about mm -hmm. how how trash that is, despite the amount of kickback I get from um, other health professionals or fitness professionals that aren't weight neutral. Um, me applauding you i love that you're against the bmi <laughs> thanks um but yeah so th th it was hard yeah because because uh, the whole like your body is your billboard piece was like was drilled into me as a fitness professional as well and i needed to walk the walk if i was going to ask other people to to do the things that i was asking them to do well and i'm actually curious too so um you know, you went through this whole transformation. And, and I love when I have people on here too, who were in the fitness industry and making money off of, you know, helping people kind of, you know, in the diet culture and promoting weight loss and kind of flipping. And were you at all scared of, oh my gosh, what's this going to do to my career? Like, what do I do now? Like you're transitioning and then your business is transitioning. Like, were you getting any kind of kickback or people kind of questioning you like what was that like for you just in terms of not only your professional career but like personally yeah I mean um when I started opening out to friends and family about the kind of struggles that I was going through mm -hmm. everybody could kind of resonate with that and and understand then and and I think because I did the progression quite slowly it started off more with me talking about like the dangers of disordered eating mm -hmm. and like the importance of self-compassion um and the importance of like internal regulation rather than external regulation and mm -hmm. so 
but I was using that content to still talk about fat loss, but mostly kind of like health. And so I kind of like pivoted quite quickly in terms of the content I was creating. Um, and, and people were resonating with that and like, oh yeah, you know, those are things that I struggle with. Um, and so I'm going to get help from this guy and maybe I'll lose a bit of weight as well. If I like get control of my like emotional eating or whatever. Um, so there wasn't as much of a kickback then there's been more of a kickback now when I talk about weight neutral approaches, when I talk about health, every size, when I talk about the issues with the BMI, um, when I talk about fat gain, not being a bad thing um and and how weight gain might be exactly what you need to recover uh, i get kickback now you mm -hmm. know i get people saying now like oh surely there's a point where that needs to stop or surely listening to your body isn't a good thing because you'll just keep eating and surely you need to restrict again to make that stop and um i mean i get like i get people changing the goalposts all the time i got a comment the other day that was like what does your data say about the associations between somebody being in a higher BMI and dying under anesthesia. And I was like, have you literally just commented on my post about BMI with that trash? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I would want to know what other compounding variables there are that, that cause that and then what the answer to an anesthesist would be if they were facing a patient with a higher BMI. And I'd hope then that they would, you know, have other things that they could do or could be improved upon potentially that they could use to help rather than just be like well therefore you need to lose weight because then you're just giving somebody an unsustainable action i love that question too because i always find it so mind-boggling that people in a higher bmi category are told to lose weight so they can go through you know a surgery for like a knee replacement or something oh, like yeah. that but yet for bariatric surgery which is hours and hours and hours long suddenly anesthesia is like not a consideration it's like fine i'm so glad you said that because i'd actually never saw it that way and i really wish that that is what i had replied at the time um because at the time i just went it's somebody who i've had a lot of conversations with so i was like i've sent you these things before so here you go you can read them again and then um they replied again but i didn't i didn't read the reply because i just thought there's just no point i've got i've got other people replying who uh it's it's one of those where it's not like I'm creating an echo chamber where I'm dismissing their point. I understand it, and it's how I would have said way back when. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just the same piece around associational data. As you said, like, we've got no issue putting them under the knife if it's for bariatric surgery, but if it's for a knee replacement, oh, my God, like, they, they clearly need to lose weight. And that's one of my biggest issues with, with weight and healthcare mm -hmm. is, is this really bad healthcare people who are fat go through where it's like well before we do this you need to lose weight and it's like well what would you have told me if i was a thin person would you have given me physio would you have given me medication would you give me surgery all of the above it's like these things often get worse because they're not treated earlier um and people don't get treatment because they're not treated well so it's it's a real shame well and i think you know it would be a wonderful thing if health at every size was more of the the mindset, right? Because I think that, you know, especially here in the US, and I'm sure over there where you are, you know, there's a the weight bias, right? You can't possibly be quote unquote healthy if you're in a larger body, larger BMI, because the BMI supposedly is this measure of health. But 
really? This yeah, this ridiculous <laughs> idea that we're all supposed to be like the same size and shape, or like we're all supposed to sit within like a. Uh, okay, yeah, but we don't need to be the same size and shape, but we have a guideline that has like a range, and mm -hmm. you should sort of be somewhere within there. And it's just like, what? It's just, it's, it's absolutely baffling. Yeah, no, I keep speaking out about the BMI. <laughs> I will do. Yeah, it's, I think it's like every third post now. <laughs> I looked at your Instagram, I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> absolutely. So. Yeah. Let's keep challenging it. I don't know when they'll get rid of it, but hopefully someday soon. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, I think that's the hardest thing, isn't it? Because um, I, when you said about how was the transition for you and did you get a lot of kickback, I think the issue is, is that sometimes when you're a non-diet dietitian and a health at every size advocate, a lot of people kind of look at you as a bit of a conspiracy theorist. They're like, what are you on about? And it's really hard to talk about data and, and research and it's hard to support the World Health Organization in their clause against like smoking and, and other things if you then say, oh, yeah, but they're wrong about weight and here's the reasons why. And obviously they are wrong about weight and there are many reasons why. And there are many reasons why they themselves are biased. And as you talked about, weight bias in healthcare is, is only one piece of the puzzle. If you've got if you've got an entire um, globe, a global population who are obsessed with weight and health when they do studies they're going to look for that association between weight and health and they're going to do studies that are only based about weight and health and then when they get associations that are there with weight and health they're like oh yeah see there's an association there and and they kind of disregard this association does not equal causation and what are the other factors i mean not all of them do uh, Catherine Flegel who worked for the Center of Disease Control, did that great paper in, in both sort of 2005 and I think also 2015, where it was like the, the relationship of weight and health is a really complex one and there's a lot of factors that we need to control for. And when we control for those factors, we see that socioeconomic issues are much, much, much more important and access to healthcare and access to food and health and, and exercise and all these other things. Maybe we should put all of our attention there. But instead, they're like, nah, let's put our attention into another low-carb versus low-fat diet research paper. You're like, no. <laughs> yeah, let's just cut out, like, whole food groups. And... Yeah, let's just, yeah, it's just like, let's, re let's research the Mediterranean diet again. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I do always laugh, Johnny, because, you know, I'm older than you and I've seen like these waves of diets and I know I've talked about it on here before but you know back when I was younger it was like it was carb was king we're supposed to eat all the carbs you can and fat was the demon and we didn't even talk about protein I was like what is protein you yeah. know so like there's such a flip now it's like a 180 and you know for someone who's like seen like all these waves I just keep sitting back going, what's the next site that's going to get the 15 minutes of fame? Like what food group's going to get demonized next? What food, what, you know? So it's like, it's constantly changing. So it can't possibly be that these diets are the one, because if you look over time, they've shifted so much. And so like, if there mm. was the one, there would be the one that stood the test of time for decades. And there just hasn't been. It's just a surfacical, um, a farcical theory as well that there's a, like a, a a right way to eat or a or a perfect way to eat it's it's the same thing that draws us to meal plans and and external guidance is this idea of just just tell me what to eat and when mm -hmm. right like i 
I did a survey with my audience just last week or the week before, and the questions were were pivoted around what 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 struggles do you have with embracing the idea of intuitive eating and 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 you know weight gain um and, and making peace with food and because they this was people who'd been sort of in my audience and emails for a while so they'd seen my content was pointing towards this mm-hmm. and and even then still someone was like i just need to be told what to eat and when and it's like it's just such a lack of trust i i got a, a message from a follower in africa after I I just sent them a message saying, hey, really appreciate the follow. You know, it's I send messages to all my followers and just welcome them and, and say, this is what I do. And if you ever need help or advice, like just message me. And they said, oh, I'd love a, a diet plan from you, but it would just make no sense because I'm in Africa and you'd, you'd be eating a westernized diet. And I was like, well, exactly. Like I, I wouldn't offer you one anyway. Um, but that's the farcical piece, isn't it? That all these other nations have all of these other foods and and cultural ways of eating that would just be completely excluded in the Western world of this is the perfect diet. Whereas actually there are loads of hundreds of ways to eat. Mm-hmm. And and actually the 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 science around nutrition is actually really, really complex. I don't think really, I mean, we've got some studies around like health promoting behaviors and 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 mortality risk, right? But in terms of actually researching okay what does what does food do like long term like to the body there's not really a lot of data in it because it's all about weight it's like yeah but how did that person's how did that person's weight go and then what happened to their health as a result of that it's not really about the the patterns of eating habits yeah there is so much to that right like to your point like here in the states like i ask people how long do you take to eat lunch and they're like oh, i don't know five minutes i'll eat in the car i'll eat it standing this and that and like so interesting right i spent time with my family in italy and it's like lunch is like the longest thing every the whole city shuts down and everybody's yeah. like relaxing with family and like it's the whole event right it's like that's not 10 minutes like rushing around in the car standing up like trying to get something in between a meeting like it's so different right yeah 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 and then i mean think about things like um intermittent fasting or whatever where they're like yeah you know don't eat till 12 and then make sure your last meal is before eight and if you eat after eight you're gonna gain fat and all you know all these other ridiculous rules we've been told and as you said there go to somewhere like italy go to somewhere like france and they they close all of their businesses for sort of like two to three hours across lunch have you know this this great meal and and this great time with people and then their evening meal is at like 9 p.m or whatever and it's again another event where everything slows down several courses lots of time and you just think yeah we're really missing the mark here in terms of work-life balance and, and how food becomes a it's like an afterthought, as you said, grab something while I'm on lunch, like grab something in the car, grab something on the way to my next meeting or whatever. We don't have these these big like ritualistic uh, events where we disconnect and wind down and then nourish our bodies. Yeah, and socialize too. There's a big communal like a like component to that too. I think that's missing as well. Uh, we're so just. Well, I'm finding it's we're getting more disconnected here. And I think that's a huge component as well. I could talk at length about that, but well, yeah. Well, to add to that social context, you know, I holidayed in France just at the end of last month. So like, and, and came back at the beginning of, of this month. And 
one of the evenings in France, we saw there was this um, like evening market in one of the village centres that we were nearby. And um, when we went to the village market the the day of and, and kind of read the, and I, I knew that these things happened because I'd, I'd been to France, the south of France four years ago with some friends and, and this happened several times throughout that week. What, what happens basically is that the whole square of the village was was shut off from traffic and there were tables really long tables and chairs with with dinner like napkins um table napkins on like all around the square and then within the market square itself there were different food vendors selling hot and cold food starters mains desserts like loads of different types of food and the point then of the event was you take your own plate and knife and fork and then you go and buy the food that you want from the people you want. And then you go and sit down with your family and friends amongst those of other people's families and friends. And you ate and drank and like had a nice time. Mm. And they had like live music and stuff afterwards. Yeah, very different. Yeah, incredibly. And it was it was such a cool night. And, and that happened in several of the other villages that week as well. Yeah, and I mean, just as you're describing that, I'm trying to imagine that even happening. <laughs> doesn't happen in my country either (laughs) i mean how do we even foster something like that i don't even know how a change like that could come about it's such a cultural shift right yeah you'd have to kind of um you could start it off on a local level i bet like i uh, you know like farmers markets is a big thing Mm -hmm. over your way isn't it and and you you could almost maybe start it on a local level to say hey rather than doing this in the morning why don't we make this an evening thing and rather than serving raw food why don't we serve cooked food and but it would it would it would take trial and error and time and it's just it's just not a big cultural thing with your and my countries as it is over in europe right but you know i think it's good to just bring it up for you know something to think about like it's not just about the food to your point it's there's so much more about it um and even the stress of like eating right like if you're like fitting something in real quick I mean the body's under so much stress just trying to fit in food or eating it's like that has an effect on things as well um so there's it's not just the food itself I mean think about what kind of lifestyle someone's leading if they're just frantically trying to fit something in here and there and not really enjoying their food and how they're not satisfied they can't be satisfied eating like that either like that's got to lead to like emotionally not being satisfied with their food maybe even leading to binging later who knows but like there's all these components to really think about like yeah it's not just what you're eating it's how and so many different factors yeah yeah 100 percent. I, I think there's definitely something to that in terms of people talking about mindful eating um it always gets spun towards weight loss doesn't it but actually as you said there the kind of constant sort of stress fight or flight of like dashing from one thing to another and being under deadlines at work and getting the kids places and and you know living a normal life to then try and eat you're not in that like rest and digest state Mm -hmm. that parasympathetic state so getting into that state to then enjoy your meal there's got to be something there in terms of as you said digestion assimilation of nutrients and 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 fully processing that versus just just doing it on the go and as quick as possible all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, I know we could probably talk forever about like so many different things. Um, yeah. 
And I, I always do love when someone's of the same mindset, because I think the more of us that keep speaking out about this and, you know, like what you're doing on your Instagram and putting out posts out there with great information and reaching people, working with people, hopefully changing mindsets. I think um, hopefully over time, you know, things will shift and change. Um, so I really appreciate you being on here. And I'm sure people listening are saying, okay, how do I work with Johnny? Like, how do I find him? How do I? How do I find his Instagram? So how can people find you? Yeah, my Instagram handle is just my name. Um, so I'm sure you'll just add that into your notes so that I don't have to spell it live on air. Right. Because um, <laughs> my first name doesn't have an H in it. And then my last name is is pretty tough to spell sometimes. But that's where everything is. You know, check out check out the content. Um, my website is actually nextstepnutrition.co.uk. But I know that you'll put a link into that for people because i've got a like a free guide on breaking free from food and body obsession nice. that i that i wrote uh which is like 40 pages of different stuff from internalized motivation to change and um all the stuff we've talked about there in terms of restriction disordered eating and how that results in these poor eating behaviors we want to escape from and then the, the real route out of that that isn't trying to lose weight all of the time so mm. that's all that's all there so yeah should check out my content and if you uh, want to chat more just shoot me a message on instagram because working with someone is quite an intimate thing um mm. so definitely like shoot me a message we can have a chat about things i've got i don't know when this will come out but in october i've got a course option coming out and that's always maybe a good like first step for people rather than you know signing up to working with someone one-on-one awesome well thank you and thank you for sharing all that information and having that free information for people to access when they go on your site appreciate that yeah sure Um, any last final words before we end no i mean we kind of went from everywhere from like (laughs) disordered eating to cultural food things so there's a lot there um i really appreciate you having me on and as i said people can reach out if uh, uh, any questions Awesome. Well, thank you again, Johnny. Appreciate it. Cheers. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.